Welcome to the Cafe Radio Podcast, a collaboration between the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and the Congressional Award Foundation. This podcast is intended to help students through the opportunities the Congressional Award Program offers and provide information on how to explore the Congressional Award Program's pathways to career goals. And now, here's your host. Hello and welcome to Cafe Radio. I'm Jessica and I'm from Dean Will Radio Broadcast and I'm one of your co-hosts today. Hi, I'm Jordan from Dean Will Radio Broadcasting and I'll be your other host for today. Dean Will Radio Broadcast is a mass media program that focuses on networking, radio broadcasting operations, and the journalistic arts. Now, let's meet our guest today, Christopher Merkin. Hi, Christopher. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Jordan. I'm thrilled to be with you both this afternoon. Uh, we're there too. Let's talk about Christopher's journey. Christopher's award journey began through a self-motivated initiative to find a program that will highlight his passions and help him in his future career. Through this hard work, he was able to earn his gold medal in 2013. His award experience helped him to become a key standout in his career through interviews and resumed content. This award helped him to continue to volunteer throughout his life. His past experiences include interning for Vice President Joe Biden, working as a judicial clerk, and being an adjunct professor of law at the Delaware Law School. He is currently obtaining his LLM in trial advocacy and cannot wait to see what the future has in store for him. Today's topic is about continuing service beyond the award with Christopher Merkin. Christopher, thank you once again for joining us today. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Okay, so Christopher, could you please help us kick off our day by telling us your experience with the Congressional Award Program and specifically what it has done for you? I learned about the Congressional Award around 2009 when I was a freshman in high school. And back then, my parents had those old how to get ready for college books that they used to have at the bookstore. And the Congressional Award was listed in one of those books. And I kind of found it myself paging through one day. And I thought, wow, this looks really cool. So I went online and learned a little bit about the award program and and how to achieve the various levels and what I needed to do. And I kind of took off from there. And over the next three and a half years, I really dedicated myself to the award through service, through planning trips, through personal development, through physical fitness, all the categories of the award. And it really made my high school experience important and great for me. And it really helped prepare me for college, for law school, and for my future. So it was self-driven. I do have to credit my parents. But it was a self-driven program. And I was very grateful to find it and to participate in it all throughout high school. Why do you think this award is so important for others coming after you? The Congressional Award is such an important way to to kickstart your personal and professional growth while you're still in high school. I think a lot of people, myself included, really thought that you know you start to become a real person in college. You start to develop your, your personal and professional identity. You start to figure out what you like to do, what you're really passionate about, what you think your job or your career might be someday. But the Congressional Award really lets you start that years earlier. And I think that's a really, really powerful incentive, a really powerful way for, for young people, for middle schoolers, for high schoolers, to start to develop those interests, those passions that they can identify and then grow throughout college and then into their professional lives. Uh, or if you don't go to college, throughout your work experience right after high school. So I think that there's a lot of value in the professional growth area and the personal growth area. And the award helps you set goals. It helps you think about your place in the world. And it helps you really find a way to serve others and serve your community. 
Thank you for your answer. Um, now that you describe your congressional award experience, if you can chop it down to one thing, what really made you a gold medalist? That's a great question. I think what made me a gold medalist in, in a single word or a single phrase was perseverance and flexibility. So two words, but perseverance to keep it up. The, the award requires dedicated work over a period of time to achieve the gold medal and to achieve all six levels of the award. And it's not something you can just knock out in a week or in a month or in a year. It requires sustained effort. It requires making goals and, and keeping those goals and, and making promises to yourself and to others and keeping those promises and showing up. But it also requires you to be flexible. And it requires you to be able to adapt when things change. My original mentor for the award moved to Singapore halfway through the program. And so I had to find somebody new to, to advise me and to guide me through the process. And other things come and go. And opportunities that may have existed once now no longer exist. And so determination and flexibility are two of the, the keys to success in the Congressional Award. If your parents didn't push you to get the Congressional Award, where do you think you would be? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that they pushed me. They introduced me to it and I, I really wanted it. It was something that I, I was passionate about completing over the course of my high school experience. But I think that if I had not done the Congressional Award, it, it would have made my journey to where I am today, professionally, socially engaged in the community, that much harder or that much more circuitous. I think that the award... The, the skills that I learned from the award, the connections and the relationships that I built from the award, they all helped pave a smoother pathway for me to, to get to where I am today. They laid the foundation for me to be successful. So I, I hope and think I still would have gotten to where I am, but I think it would have been much more difficult than had I not worked through and achieved the award. Well, Christopher, what you shared so far has been really amazing. And for those who are watching, we have more to talk about with our guest Christopher today. Radio Cafe will be back in a moment. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Cafe Radio. We're here with our guest, Christopher. Hi, everybody. Through the Congressional Award, what do you think was your greatest challenges? I think for me, the greatest challenges were planning the trips uh, that, I, that I took for the fourth category of the award or, or the fourth bucket of the award. And some of those trips that I took, the, the one that stands out the most to me was I went to, to Gettysburg National Park, uh, the battlefield. And I had some strong family ties there. I had relatives who fought in the Civil War for the Union and were Union Army officers from Vermont and New England. And my, I believe, great uncle was a Pennsylvania state senator who, at the 75th anniversary of the Civil War, created the Eternal Flame Peace Memorial, which is in Gettysburg. And he planned this big reunion for the remaining soldiers who are still alive 75 years later. And my great aunt wrote the inscription, which is on the base of the Eternal Flame. So that, for me, was a difficult trip to plan because I, I wanted to do more than just go and tour the battlefield and go to the museum and see the history and all of that. 
But I wanted to tie it into my family history too, and to understand a little bit more about my family's role in the Civil War and at Gettysburg. And one of the really cool things that the award allowed me to do, I had some conversations with my family that I never would have had. And in fact, I think shortly after that trip, we found a journal that my great-great-great-grandfather had kept as a Civil War officer. And he he was writing in it uh, on his way to Washington, D.C. on the train the night that President Lincoln was assassinated. And he didn't know what had happened. So you see day one of the journal is him on the train and he doesn't know. And then day two, he finds out what happened. But all of this tied into my family history and our country's history. And that was one of the things that I, I thought was so cool about the award is that it let me dive into these intersections of history uh, in a really meaningful way. Well, since then, have you found out any more history regarding that or just something different about your family? I don't think there's been anything quite as exciting as that, but it's it's been a great reminder, I think, to me that our our history, our nation's history, our family history, it's important to know and to understand. So I think a great opportunity for people considering the Congressional Award and pursuing the award is maybe tie in the trip or tie in service to your family somehow. Make it local, make it personal, make it something that you have a vested interest in because you'll be much more successful. You're more likely to, to maintain over the course of the years it takes to earn the award if you like what you're doing. And so I, I found that that personal tie, the personal connections, whether it was through the voluntary public service or through finding ways to connect physical fitness to the community or any of the other activities that I did over years, when I felt that I was connected to my family or to my community or to myself inside internally, I felt like I could really do it. And I felt like there was really a reason to keep going. It wasn't just trying to earn an award to earn an award, but I was really getting a lot out of it personally by by tying it back to myself, to my family, and to my community. After you uh, found out that family tie and found out that that kind of runs in your bloodline, what was your feelings like after discovering that? It was really cool. <laughs> it was really it was really a neat thing. And I think somewhere in my, my bedroom at home in my parents' house, I have a, a certificate from Gettysburg that says, and anybody can go there who has family who fought in the Civil War. And it says the, the rank that my, my relative was and where he fought and what he did and everything. And it, it was just a very powerful experience. So it was a very powerful experience being there, being on the battlefield, experiencing in a very small part what life was like there for those soldiers uh, and for my family. And so it was a, a remarkable experience. And it's one that I don't know that I would have had without the Congressional Award. Okay, so regarding that, Chris, would you say that the Congressional Award has laid the foundation for you when you were younger to just be inspired to continue that service, especially based off of your new revelation that you found out during that trip? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the the award laid a foundation for me in so many ways. It it certainly laid a foundation for my, my interest in public service and community service and volunteer work. That has kind of expanded and changed as I've gotten older and as I've expanded professionally. So when I went to law school, I went to Villanova Law School outside of Philadelphia. And I worked on what's called the Pro Bono Society there. And that was a way for law students to contribute free legal service to people who needed it and could not afford it. This took a lot of forms. We helped work on expungement orders for people who had criminal records, misdemeanor criminal records who couldn't get hired because they had a criminal record. And so we were able to help them for free, seal those criminal records so that they could get jobs. 
or access benefits or whatever it was that they needed. We helped draft wills and medical powers of attorney for indigent people in Philadelphia, people who couldn't afford to have a lawyer write a will for them or to create a, a medical power of attorney. We did that too, and, and many other things. But that was one way that I was able to give back throughout my years at Villanova. I became president of the Pro Bono Society. I worked to expand it while I was there. Same thing in college. In different ways, I obviously wasn't a lawyer then. I wasn't in law school. But I was always trying to find ways to volunteer, to give back, to stay engaged, whether that was through leadership development programs, whether that was through donating blood, which I've done every 56 days for the last 12 years. Whatever it is, finding a way to give of myself to the community but that all kicked off with the congressional award. And that has helped get me to where I am, again, personally, professionally, but from a philanthropic and community development perspective too, to really value my community, value the people in my community and reach back behind me or below me or next to me to bring everybody up as I can. And that's something that the congressional award instilled in me and I, I hope will instill in others. Why do you find community service and giving back to your community so important? I think it's really the keystone of a successful society. I, I think it's very difficult to rely on either the government or private entities or whoever it is to provide everything that we need. And so I might not change the world. I might not save everybody's life, but I can do what I can. And if we all do what we can, I think we have a stronger, more tight-knit community. When we serve one another, when we give of ourselves, we are able to really engage in the civic process. We are able to really become one with one another and become one with our community and be neighbors. And I think all of those things combined really make it a moral imperative, a requirement that we all give of ourselves when we can, because we need to, because we should, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, Chris, I have one more question before we go into our break. Regarding all that movement and such great work that you've done, especially with those programs and those foundations, is there any like legal precedents that you personally would like to set in your law career? That's a fantastic question. I think an important precedent to set is that everybody who needs a lawyer can have a lawyer. And there are cases that say that in criminal cases, you are entitled to a lawyer. But that's not always the case in civil cases. And this may not be a legal precedent that gets set, but it may be just, again, a volunteer idea, a volunteer concept that lawyers give of themselves are always there to volunteer to help however they can. But I think that there are a lot of unmet legal needs in the community, both in the criminal side and in the civil side, uh, in the non-criminal side, where we as lawyers have an obligation, an ethical obligation, a moral obligation, a professional obligation to serve our community. And so I, I hope that I can continue to build on the work that others have done to uh, create greater access to justice and to allow for everybody who needs a lawyer to have a lawyer. Well, Christopher, your answers have been so great so far. Everybody, there is more to come. Please stay with us for more of Cafe Radio. The Congressional Award Foundation is the United States Congress Award for Young Americans. Since 1979, the Congressional Award Foundation has been providing opportunities for young people to unleash their potential by achieving personal goals focused on volunteerism, character development, fitness, and how to explore pathways to career goals. 
This podcast is a part of the Congressional Award Foundation's initiative to reach more students of color and make an impact in the community. The programs feature graduates of the Congressional Award Foundation who share knowledge with students about how participating in the Congressional Award Program changed their lives and served as an invaluable tool for supporting students in educational and career-building resources to catapult professional growth and careers. This program is open to all youth in the U.S. between the ages of 14 and 24, regardless of ability, circumstance, or socioeconomic status. Set your goals. Work towards your goals. Receive your award. Move to the next level. For more information about the Congressional Awards and the Congressional Award Foundation, visit congressionalaward.org. Welcome back to Cafe Radio. I'm Jessica, and I'm here with my co-host Jordan, and we're still here with our guest, Christopher Merkin. Christopher, I'm so happy um, that you just brought up your trip that you were working on for to earn your Congressional Award medals. I myself, in my first year, which was last year for the Congressional Award, was lucky enough that my family planned a trip to Hawaii. So I was able to implement that and use, use the adventures and the physical activity that was part of the criteria for it to earn my certificate. And I would just like to um, move on to your career. Um, you've earned a Juris Doctorate, correct? Yes, I, I got my undergraduate degree from the University of Delaware. I got my law degree from Villanova Law School. And next week, I will graduate with my master's in law in trial advocacy from Temple Law School. That's amazing. It takes, it takes a lot of determination and effort and commitment in education. So using your education, what were your intents on giving back to community? Sure. Well, I, I always knew I wanted to be a lawyer. My dad's a lawyer. And in 2012, when I was a junior in high school, so still working on the award, I got to go to oral arguments at the U.S. Supreme Court. My dad had worked on a case earlier on, way far back down the line in the trial. And eventually, that case worked its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, my dad is a tax lawyer. Most people would think tax law is pretty boring. I know I definitely did when I was 15 years old. But it was a phenomenal experience. And we got to go and sit and watch the case get argued in the US Supreme Court in Washington, DC. And that was kind of the moment that I knew. I, I had always thought, oh, you know, the law is interesting. This is something that I could see myself doing. But when I got to sit there and watch the arguments, watch the lawyers make their points and just be so eloquent, and so graceful, and so knowledgeable, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Again, the case was not very exciting, but the opportunity was tremendous. And so that kind of started me off on my path. But your specific question was about kind of what the law will let me do to help people. And there's a lot of ways that it can do that. So as I mentioned in the, first, in the second segment, there's a great need for access to justice from lawyers helping people. And the, the law firm that I'm joining this fall, a law firm called Deckert, which is based here in Philadelphia, which has offices all over the country, is a huge believer in pro bono work. They support their lawyers doing volunteer legal work at a very small scale and a very, very large scale. So the, the firm represents clients who are facing death row. They represent clients who are wrongfully convicted of things. They represent clients uh, in voting access cases. They represent clients all over the country in all sorts of different issues to help. But they also help on a very local scale. So here in Philadelphia, they might volunteer to help at a clinic for, for the elderly. They might help with a, a family law clinic to help people with custody issues. When I was a summer associate in 2019, 
I helped on a guardianship petition where we helped somebody work to get guardianship over a relative who was incapacitated. So there are all sorts of ways that my law firm and many law firms and organizations let you use the law to help people. I'm excited to see what those are. The opportunities are endless and I don't really know exactly what I'll do when I start there. But I'm really excited to to help people the most that I can while I'm working with the law firm. I'm glad you mentioned um, Philadelphia and just Pennsylvania in general, because I, I literally asked you that question because I find it so cool that you were you are from and you pursued your um, legal education and what I consider like the legal, like the heart of legal society, like Philadelphia, you know, where the uh, our founding fathers and stuff have met multiple times and some of them have even pursued legal careers. So on you, Jordan. And I also feel that it's very interesting that you pursuing you're you're deciding to pursue everything in Philadelphia. And I also think that it's really cool that you're deciding to give back to your community uh, and give back to people around you to help better people. Because, you know, a lot of people, they they get successful or where people say they make it and then they go Hollywood and, you know, don't help other people. And, you know, they don't ever give back. They just feel like they're successful. So why would I need to, you know, help any other people? But with uh, you being in the legal system, what are some issues that you're willing to address or that you want to address? Well, I hope that when you both make it big that you continue to help people because it's it's quite important and you're right. I think that it's it's a shame and it's problematic that people kind of forget who they are and where they come from when they get successful. And that can happen in any field. That can happen in the law, it can happen in politics, media, entertainment, sports, whatever it is. But I think it's just so key to, again, continue to give back, continue to be a part of your community and not forget where you came from and the people that are around you because not everybody's going to make it. Not everybody's going to be rich and famous and successful. And I think everybody has an obligation, no matter where you are, no matter who you are, to help however you can in ways large and small. So you asked about the law. And there's a lot of things that I'd like to do in the law. My specific area of practice when I started the law firm this fall will be as a trial lawyer. I'll be working on really big lawsuits involving really big companies. Uh, and as I had said, fortunately, getting to do a lot of, of volunteer pro bono work, getting to help people who need the help but can't afford to have lawyers. So about your education still, you are pursuing your master's of law in trial advocacy. And I it's weird. I have found so many connections. We are both in cities where like law is very prominent and very important. It's close up front. We get to experience it intimately. But I have also something else in common, sort of. I have had my first introduction into oral advocacy and I entered a competition for my school and only made it to the semifinals. <laughs> yeah. And it was in I I saw the the well, we had to, you know, connect to the Constitution, specifically to amendment amendments, the fourth and the fourteenth this year. And I it was really stressful. It was a bit of an intimidating experience for me. So, but it'll be better hearing how it is for you. Uh, what does trial advocacy look like in the real world where the professionals are? Well, it sounds like you got robbed if you only made it to the semifinals. But I'm I'm glad that you did that. I'm glad that you you started and were engaged in the process because it's exciting. And it's I, I have been fortunate to judge high school, college, and law school moot court and mock trial contests over the last few years. And it's great. It's it's wonderful to see younger people really starting to get involved early on. I did not do that in high school or college, and I really wish I had known about it. 
so I'm, I'm glad to hear that hopefully it was a good experience for you and it's something you would consider doing in the future because um, we need good oral advocates, especially kind of coming up through the ranks. So I, I think that the importance of trial advocacy and, and what it looks like in practice, most cases settle. Most lawsuits on the civil side and most criminal cases, they go away before a trial. They don't actually go to a trial. So the Constitution guarantees a right to a jury trial for lots of crimes uh, and for most civil cases under the Sixth and Seventh Amendments. And few people actually exercise that right percentage-wise. About 97% of civil cases and 98 or so percent of criminal cases settle before trial. And the reasons for that are, are varied. Juries are unpredictable. You don't know when you have six or eight or 12 of your fellow citizens in the jury box what they're going to do with a case and how they're going to react to you and to your client and to the witnesses and to the judge. Nobody likes jury duty, which is unfortunate because it's a, a great kind of patriotic service, a patriotic duty to do it. But people don't like jury duty. It takes them out of their routines. And they have to do something with their lives to put them on hold to be there to be a juror. But there are still 2 to 3% of cases that do go to trial. And that's still a fairly large number, right? It's The percentage is small, but the actual volume by number is, is fairly large. But understanding... I had great professors at Temple Law School. The, the program director was phenomenal. The, my classmates were phenomenal. I learned from them so much. And one of the big things that we focused on was authenticity, was being yourself, being who you are, and not trying to be somebody you're not. So I am what has often been referred to as professorial. I talk like a professor. I, you know, I look like a professor. I act like a professor. I'm not going to be the advocate banging on the table and gesturing wildly in the courtroom and kind of asking those hard-hitting questions in an aggressive way. That's just not my personality. And so what the Temple Law Program really taught me was, look, that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to be that person. Not everybody needs to be the aggressive bulldog lawyer in the arena and, and going after it for the kill. You can get the same result. And in fact, it might be better to just be you. To, to grow and, and live on your own experiences and, and be who you are in the courtroom because you're going to be more comfortable being yourself than being anybody else. And so I took that the lesson away from that was to embrace being the professor and embrace being the educator, embrace being the person helping the jury understand or the judges, if it's appellate advocacy, understand, folks, look, here's what's going on. Here's what the facts are. Here's what the law is. We win. Come on. Come on. You know. We all know. And so that's how I'm going to approach it. But you may approach it differently. Jordan, if you go to law school and you become an advocate, you may approach it differently. But you need to lean into your strengths. You need to lean into being the advocate that you are and not who somebody else says you should be. Um, well, with you talking about uh, being comfortable in the law room, I mean, in the courtroom and uh, just being yourself and, and really knowing your strengths and knowing your, your weaknesses, as you climb the ranks and you had to be around more educated people and you know the circumstances were a little bit more frightening. How did you like kind of deal with with that type of environment and still uh, be comfortable and and still be you? Absolutely. Well, I, I will say first and foremost, mental health is extraordinarily important. Uh, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter what stage of life you are in, please seek mental help if you need it. I did throughout college, throughout law school. It was so helpful. It's so important, and that helps. Even if it's just something like doing yoga or doing meditation or breathing or stress relief or taking a walk outside, but being in a good mindset where you feel like everything is aligned and you feel like you're, you're comfortable and okay with yourself, 
that's really the first part. That's the key. So I encourage everybody to, to take care of your mental health because it's so, so important. And I'm, I'm grateful to become less and less stigmatized recently to talk about it and to advocate for it because it's really important. But the other piece of this is being prepared. And again, this is not just in the law, but in life. Preparation is key. And I might not be the smartest person in the room. Frequently, I'm not. Uh, I might not be you know, the best looking person in the room. Frequently, I'm not. But I'm going to be the best prepared person in the room. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to read the book. I'm going to read the law. I'm going to know what's going on so that when the partner or the, the associate I'm working for or when the, ju- when the judge asks a question, I can say, yes, Your Honor. Yes, partner. This is the answer. Here's where it is in the record. Here's the fact that you need. Here's the document that you've been looking for. It's right here. Everybody can prepare. That doesn't take a particular skill set. It doesn't take a particular brain to do that. Work hard because you can outwork almost anybody. As you spoke about uh, mental health, because recently mental health has really been hitting headlines and mental health is really people are starting to realize that it's way more important than people sought out to be in. It's way more uh, mental than physical. Uh, did you have any mental health challenges you know, throughout your career or even when you were younger? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think we all do. Um, and it's, again, it's important, especially when you're in high school and in college and if you go to law school or graduate school, to really focus on your mental health. I, you know, I had anxiety. I have anxiety. I manage it. But it's the kind of thing where... If you don't talk about it, if we pretend that it's not real, we do a disservice to ourselves, to each other, to our colleagues, to our classmates, to our friends. And so I think it's important, especially in the legal field, but in any field, which is high pressure, high stress, you got to take care of your mental health. You got to realize it, recognize it, embrace it, deal with it, um, and take care of it. And take care of it because it's really important. And I mean, yes, physical health is important too. Absolutely. But if you're not in a good mental space, it can be very, very difficult to focus on your work and get it done. Law school, a lot of people have mental health struggles. It's, it's a tough environment. It's a chaotic and anxious and overwhelming and very, very tough place to, to thrive and succeed. I thrived on it. I loved it. But it was hard. It was very, very stressful. And having positive coping mechanisms for stress, again, whether it's going to the gym or... or going for a walk or just unwinding at night, putting your phone away and not looking at it after you go to bed, but really thinking about that. And I hope as you two are younger and are coming up, you can you know, encourage your friends, encourage your classmates, and then eventually encourage your colleagues to, to take it seriously. Because I, I think that we all are better off when we all recognize this and work towards everybody's better mental health. Well, Chris, I can really attest to that part where you talk about being yourself, but I'll be honest, there's a little part of me that wants to act like I'm Annalise Keating Keating when I go into um, law school. But I would just like to end this and say thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jessica. This was phenomenal. I'm glad to to be here and to chat about the award and about, about the law. And I want to thank everybody for listening to Cafe Radio. I'm Jessica. I'm Jordan. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Cafe Radio Podcast, a collaboration between the Office of Cable Television, Film, Music, and Entertainment, and the Congressional Award Foundation. For more information about the Congressional Award Foundation, visit congressionalaward.org.